Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Well, good morning, Sunrise. It's been a beautiful service already, hasn't it? It's always so exciting to share in baptism with people and to be able to honor our first responders. We're really blessed in this particular community we live in. Uh, that partnership is only growing, and uh, we're seeing God do some amazing things through it. And uh, what, a, what an honor. I'd love to invite you out in the courtyard afterwards. I think some of our firefighters have already had to leave because there's a fire. <laughs> I remember last year, our police literally ran off the stage because there's a guy with a gun like down a couple blocks away. Uh, They're they're always on the clock, and so uh, they're going to be here as long as they can. Take an opportunity to to just thank them for being a part of our community and uh, bring your kids out there if you got them. It'll be fun. And uh, I want to say a special hello to those who are watching online as well. We are one church in many locations, and so we want to welcome our online campus. And uh, if this is your first time with us, I'd love a chance to meet you. I'll be out in the courtyard afterwards. I'd love to shake your hand and just uh, meet who you came with today. You know, a couple of weeks ago, my family and I, we were returning from a long day trip, and kids were asleep by the time we got home, and, and so uh, we get them all off to bed. I'm half asleep myself, and I decide to clean out the car of all their junk, their leftover food and beverage containers and devices, and I go on up to bed. And the next afternoon, my wife says to me, hey, have you seen my iPad anywhere? I said, yeah, yeah, I remember seeing it in the car yesterday when I was cleaning out. I put it on the hood of the van. And she goes, I remember this morning when I was pulling out of the house, I heard a strange noise. I don't know what that was. I'm like, ah, that had to be the iPad. It was on the hood. It's in a black cover on a black van. How did you not see it? All right. And so immediately we start running out. We're looking up and down, uh, seeing if it fell out. We're looking in neighbor's yards. They're probably ready to call the police on us. Uh, you know, can't find it anywhere. I try using a little Find My Phone app to try to ping its location. That doesn't work. So it, it hits me. This thing's gone. Somebody found it. It slid off the hood. Somebody found it. They, they're probably selling it as we speak. And, and immediately this massive sense of guilt overcomes me. I just start beating myself up. Like, how could I make such an expensive mistake? Why would I put an iPad with a black cover on a black vehicle? What a foolish thing. You know, I often get frustrated with my wife saying, you have to be more aware, but she didn't lose the iPad. I did. So now I'm a hypocrite too. You know, I'm just beating myself up over this. And I had to get to this place mentally where I'm like, look, it's, at the end of the day, it's just a device. I don't need it. Maybe I could eventually replace it. And it got me thinking, like, if I feel this guilty over something minor, how would I feel over something major? And it got me to think on this question, how do I handle failure? I want to pose that question to you. How do you handle failure? See, failure comes in many forms. It could be something as minor as losing a device, like I did, or something as major as committing a crime, and everything in between. How do you handle failure? Today we continue in our message series that we're calling Family Hacks. And it's all about taking practical how-tos from God's word to apply to our family. 
Last week, we looked at how to help our family by asking the question, literally, how can I help? Today, we want to focus on how to handle failure. Because at some point in time, your family is going to experience a failure. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. At some point in time, a parent is going to let you down. At some point in time, a child is going to make a very poor choice. At some point in time, one of your siblings is going to go off the deep end. How do you respond? Well, let's look to the scriptures. And today, to begin our time, we are going to be in the New Testament book of John chapter 8. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, go ahead and make your way over to John chapter 8. The message today is going to be broken into two parts. Part one is how to handle someone else's failure. And as you're finding your way over to John 8, you might see that there's a little footnote in your Bible that says the story we're about to read was not included in the original manuscripts. Uh, Most biblical scholars believe this story did occur. They just aren't convinced it was John who wrote it. But because it's consistent with the character of Christ and it doesn't change any doctrine, that's why it's in our Bibles. And so regardless of who wrote the story, let's not miss this incredible insight in how Jesus handles failures. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, read along with me. It says, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? I mean, a a collective hush must have fallen on the crowd when this happened. I mean, imagine that occurring right now. I'm standing up here preaching a message to you, and somebody interrupts the service by bringing a half-naked woman in front and said, we caught this woman having sex with a man she was not married to. I bet you'd all sit up real straight, right? In this moment when Jesus was teaching, I bet all eyes went locked on Jesus to see how he would respond. But right out of the gates, there's something fishy about this. Because the act of adultery, uh, it takes two to tango. Let's put it that way. Why was only one person brought forward? I mean, sins like stealing, cheating, lying, those could be solo acts. But this one, uh, there ought to be more than one person. So right out of the gates, something ain't right, which is why the author included this little commentary in verse 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. So, So what's going on here? Who are these Pharisees? What is the law they're referring to? Here's the quick answer. The Pharisees were the religious leaders, and the law was a set of standards numbering 600-plus rules that God gave to the Israelites to govern their behavior and help them be aware of the sin in their lives so that they would turn their hearts to God. Most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. Those are a summary of the 600-plus laws. Now, we can't even keep 10. Imagine trying to keep over 600. And and that's the point. You you can't. And so it ought to turn our hearts to God saying, God, I need you because I can't do this. The Pharisees disagreed. Oh, no, you can do this. You just got to try really, really hard. The Pharisees were the referees. They're the ones who walked around with the whistle, observing everybody's behavior. And when you got out of line, they'd blow it on you. Working on the Sabbath right here. We got a foul on the play. Uh, That's what these guys did. And so what they did was they, they were constantly looking for ways to trap Jesus because when Jesus came along, he disrupted their whole clean religious system. He started saying, hey, it's about what's going on on the inside, not just the outside. Pharisees didn't want to hear that. They didn't like 
that or they didn't like Jesus. And so they wanted to trap him and they were using this woman as a pawn. And so what do you say, Jesus? What should we do? The law says we're supposed to stone her. Verse six, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, this is a, a story that even people who have nothing to do with church somehow know about because it almost feels like a free pass for sin, right? If, if I ever do anything bad and you call me out on it, I could just say, hey, whoever's without sin, hey, you be the first to throw a stone, okay? You can't judge me. Is that really what Jesus was saying here? No. If Jesus was saying that only the, the sinless get to judge, we would have no basis of justice, that would mean that every appointed judge would have to be sinless in order to bring about uh, an indictment and a judgment on someone. That's not what Jesus was teaching. What Jesus was saying to these Pharisees is, if you're going to accuse someone of sin and then call for their execution, you better be real sure you aren't struggling with the same sin. Because the law that these guys were actually quoting said that whoever witnessed the sin throw the first stone. So Jesus was saying, hey, who wants to raise their hand and say, you were the witness to an act of adultery? How did that go down? What were you, peeking through somebody's keyhole? Did you just happen to stumble through a stranger's bedroom? Or maybe it was one of you guys who was in bed with her. And suddenly these, these guys started looking around and thinking, uh, I don't want my secret sins exposed. And one by one, those stones started to drop. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up. Let's go to verse nine. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So what can we learn from this? specifically in how to handle someone else's failure. Well, we're gonna give you all kinds of family hacks today, starting with the first one. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, deal with the now before the how. Deal with the now before the how. You see, when a failure occurs and the inevitable crisis follows, you and I are gonna be tempted to focus on how we got here. And every Failure has a runway of bad choices, and it's important to have those conversations, just not right away. Let me give you an example. Let's say you receive a phone call from a family member, and they are frantically screaming and crying and saying, I just got in a car accident. What's the first question you ask them? I'd like to think the first question you would ask is, are you okay? But can you imagine getting that call? They're screaming, they're crying. They say, I just got in a car accident, and your first question is, were you texting while you were driving? I know what happened. You were eating. You had a burger in one hand and the, the steering wheel in the other, and you tried to dip a fry in your ketchup. You lost sight, and boom, you hit a car. Is that what happened? Listen, we can get into that later, but the first thing we need to deal with is the now. What is the most pressing matter? It's actually what Jesus did. Look again at verse 7. Jesus said, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Don't you find it interesting that Jesus addressed the accusers before he addressed the accused? 
He could have very easily turned to this woman and said, is it true? Did you commit adultery? What, what choices in your life have occurred that has led you to having these kinds of relationships with men? He could have done that, but he didn't. Why? He addressed the accusers because they had stones in their hands and they were angry and they were about to throw them at this woman. Her life was literally hanging in the balance. That was the most pressing issue. And when a family member fails, there's going to be all kinds of, of questions you're going to have. And, and how did we get here? And what could we have done differently? Deal with those later. What is the now? Are you okay? Are you safe? Who else do we need to involve here? Do we need to call the police? Do we need to call the school? Do we need to get other family members involved? Do we need to get somebody else's parents? Let's deal with the now, the most pressing issue first. That's our first hack and how to handle someone else's failure. Deal with the now before the how. Here's the second one. Don't let reaction guide your solution. Because when a family member fails, emotions run wild, don't they? Maybe you come home and you catch somebody looking at pornography or you find out that your kid's been skipping school to go smoke weed with his friends or you find a family member's phone is loaded with uh, text messages that are massively inappropriate. And when we, when we get ourselves in these situations, we react. That's it. No more phone, no more internet. You're getting locked in your room. We're homeschooling you. I'm gonna slide bread and a tray of water under the door. That's it. But that's not how Jesus handled failure, was it? Look again carefully at verse seven of John chapter eight. It said, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, Jesus let everybody else do the talking. Everybody else was losing their mind. Everybody else was getting whipped into a frenzy, but not Jesus. He remained calm and then he stood up and then when he spoke, people listened. And Jesus was able to completely de-escalate the situation. This is how Jesus' half-brother James said it. Listen to this wisdom in James 1, 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When a family member fails, you and I do almost the exact opposite of this. We are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. I don't want to hear the rest of the story. Go to your room. You're sleeping on the couch. I'm out of here. Don't bother calling me because I'm not going to answer the phone. Slow down. Open your ears. Listen. Be slow to speak, slow to become angry. Friends, I wish I could tell you that I got this right all the time, but I often let emotions get the better of me, and I often react. And by the way, this often causes a lot of tension with married couples, because what happens is one spouse reacts and hands out a discipline in the reaction, but the other spouse didn't agree with it. And so this spouse accuses that spouse, hey, why aren't you backing me up? And they say, well, you, you went solo on me. You didn't even include me in this. And we get this friction, failure on top of failure. Listen, when, when somebody fails, we gotta understand that emotions are running wild. That's not the time to make decisions. That's not the time to hand out discipline. What did Jesus do? He remained calm and he didn't get sucked into the vortex of emotion. When I am dealing with my own family 
And I get this right. When I'm quick to listen and when I'm slow to speak and when I'm slow to become angry, it is always, 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 always better. And in Jesus' situation, everybody walked away peacefully. That's the kind of righteousness that God desires. So your first act, deal with the now before the how. The second one, don't let reaction guide your solution. Here's the third one, help reveal the rescue. We're talking about our first responders today. Uh, how much rescue do they, do they do in a person's life? Very often when we fail, we feel like we've hit the bottom, but we might not even realize that this is Jesus rescuing us from something that could be much, much worse. You see, in our lives, Jesus tries to get our attention by knocking on the door of our hearts. Sometimes he knocks quietly, sometimes he bangs loudly. And the sooner we open that door, the better. But then there's times where Jesus needs to kick the door in all together. And usually what that looks like is he allows us to take our choices to their logical end and experience failure. And it's in these moments when your family member fails that you need to come alongside them and help them to see that it is very possible that Jesus just rescued you from something much worse. Let's go back to the words that Jesus had with the woman after the crowd left. It says in verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Some people look at the story and say, boy, this woman got off without any consequences. Uh, hello, she was dragged in front of a crowd half naked. Do you want that consequence? She had her dirty laundry aired in front of strangers. Do you want that consequence? She stared down the reality of almost dying. Do you want that consequence? This was traumatic for her, which is why Jesus said, go and leave your life of sin. In other words, things got really close to being bad today. Don't make the same mistake again. You've got to make some changes. Now, we don't know if this woman walked away from the situation and wiped the sweat off her brow and went, whew, glad that's over. I'm gonna go to a, a bar, go get drunk, flirt with some men and see what happens. Or maybe she wiped the sweat off her brow and went, whew, that was close. I almost died today. I can't keep living this way. Jesus rescued me. Change starts right now. And the reality is, for a family member who has failed, help them to see that maybe what, what is happening is God is getting their attention and we gotta make some changes. We gotta change the group of friends. We gotta change uh, the, the type of work you're in. We gotta change the circumstances that you keep finding yourself in, the environment you keep finding yourself in. We gotta make some changes. And maybe this failure was one huge way of Jesus getting your attention to let you know he loves you, he's still with you, and he's rescuing you from something far, far worse. That's how to handle someone else's failure. Here's the second part, how to handle my own failure. In many ways, this is much harder. See, it's one thing when the failure is on you. It's a whole nother thing when the failure is on me. How do I handle that kind of failure? For this, we wanna once again look to the life of Jesus and his 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 men that he personally trained, that he lived life with, he shared meals with, shared experiences with, taught them how to do ministry. And two of those 12 experienced massive failures and they converged in the waning moments of Jesus's earthly ministry. 
He was sharing a Passover meal with these disciples and what we now know as the Last Supper. And during that time, Jesus dropped a bombshell on them. This is recorded in Matthew 26, verse 20. It says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. So this got the disciples all stirred up. Jesus knew that one of his own was actively scheming against him. The Pharisees were constantly looking for a way to take down Jesus. Nothing was working. And then an opportunity fell right in their laps. One of Jesus' own disciples, Judas Iscariot, approached them and said, I'll hand him over to you for just a little bit of money. And while Jesus said this, Judas stepped out while another disciple, Peter, assured everyone of what he was gonna do. Look at verse 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. One thing you could be sure on, everybody, especially you, Jesus, you can count on me. Well, while all this was happening, Judas returned, verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived, and with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Talk about being stabbed in the back. A guy that Jesus invested in for years sold him out. And Jesus was immediately bound. He was arrested and brought off to a totally unjust trial. And just a few hours later, where was Peter? The one who talked a big game? Verse 69, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Judas and Peter, two disciples of Jesus, both experienced failure, one through betrayal, one through denial. But they both handled their failure in very different ways. Here's what we can learn from them. Here's a couple of choices. Again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first one on how to handle my own failure. Number one, choose slow steps over a fast fix. You see, when we fail, we want this thing to go away right away. We want the storm to pass quickly and our adrenaline kicks in and we go into go mode. You know, we wanna control the story and, and, and make sure that, that everything's okay. We wanna find the silver lining in all of this and we just start speeding and racing. You know what, I'm, I'm glad I got fired from the job because now I have more time to be at church and I'm gonna join a small group and I'm gonna serve. Actually, you know what I'm gonna serve? I'm gonna be a prayer partner because I remember how, prayer, how important prayer was in my life when I failed. It's like, slow down. The failure just happened. There are consequences that have not even been revealed yet. There are things that God's wanting to reform in your heart. These things are not fixed quickly. Unfortunately, this was a lesson Judas did not learn. Look at what happens next, Matthew 27, verse one. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. 
So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. What a tragic story. Judas was so overcome with the guilt of his failure that he saw no other solution than suicide. How sad. If only he could have just slowed down. I mean, look at the frenetic activity. First of all, it says early in the morning is when Judas started discovering all this stuff, which meant he probably had little to no sleep, so his judgment was already impaired. And then he discovered that Jesus was condemned to death. So he was experiencing shock. Then he decides to go return his money to the conspirators as if this is going to somehow make amends for what he did. Didn't work. Then he begins confessing his sin to all the wrong people. He confessed it to the chief priests and the Pharisees. They said, hey, we don't care. That's, that's your problem. And then he went and grabbed a rope and hanged himself. This happened within hours of his betrayal. Friends, failures don't get fixed in hours. It takes the slow steps of owning your behavior, admitting your fault, the hard work of reconciling relationships, the hard work of changing patterns of behavior, the hard work of leaning into God and leaning on his grace and learning these lessons. That doesn't happen in hours. That takes days and weeks and months and even at times years. But if you're willing to take those slow steps, reconciliation and peace is possible. But if you try to microwave your way through this, you're either going to repeat the same mistakes later or you're just gonna find new behaviors to mask the guilt. Slow down, choose slow steps over a fast fix. Here's the second thing on how to handle your own failure. Number two, choose diving in over pulling out. We heard about how Judas handled his failure. Let's look at Peter. After the death of Jesus, Peter returned to fishing. We all have behaviors we return to when we're dealing with guilt, don't we? Peter returned to fishing, and he never in a million years thought he would ever see Jesus again. But Jesus miraculously rose from the grave and appeared to his disciples in bodily form. And in John chapter 21, we get one of those encounters. It says in verse four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. What a beautiful picture of returning to the Lord. As soon as Peter realized that's Jesus standing on the shore, he dived straight in so he could get there faster. And the other disciples kind of hang back a little bit further. You know, as I was reading this this past week, I thought, shouldn't this have been reversed? 
Shouldn't it have been the other disciples saying, there's Jesus, and they go diving, and Peter saying, you know what, guys, I'm gonna hang back. I'll, I'll get there eventually. Because he was the one who denied Jesus. You guys have experienced this before. You've all been reunited with someone you've had some bad blood with. You know, maybe there's like an awkward handshake or you just kind of try to avoid them altogether. Here's Peter diving straight in. And I think this is an example of what you and I need to do when we experience failure. Judas did the exact opposite. He pulled out. He pulled further and further away from Jesus. That's never the solution. Again, let's turn to the wisdom of James. This is what James says in chapter four, verse seven. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. You see, what Judas failed to understand was that there's nothing that you can do to Jesus that he won't forgive and welcome you back. We, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. It's not like you take a step toward Jesus and he goes, okay, very good. That's one step. You got like a hundred more. Keep coming, keep coming. No, he moves toward us. Draw near to God and he draws near to you. And then it's the devil who flees because he can't handle the closeness of God. That's why he doesn't want you drawing near. Let Satan be the one who pulls out, not you. Peter dives in full on, and it's a beautiful picture of how you and I need to handle our failure. Dive head first into the waters of his grace. Don't let the distance draw on between you. You close that gap immediately. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Pull a Peter. Dive in. Don't do what Judas did. He pulled out. And being near to God is always the right response. That's the second thing. The first is to choose slow steps over a fast fix. Second, choose diving in over pulling out. Here's your third hack. Choose continuing the story over closing the book. You know, when you and I experience failure, it feels like our world just ended. I'm never gonna bounce back from this. And we close the book that Jesus is still writing. And we don't even give him a chance. That's what Judas did. He didn't even give God a chance. He just decided to end the story right there. But look at what happened with Peter. Verse 15 of John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What Jesus was doing right here is he was reinstating Peter back into ministry. He was reminding him of the mission. And he said it in three different ways. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And he was giving Peter a chance to affirm. Do you realize what Jesus was doing here? He was literally rewriting Peter's story right in front of everyone. He gave Peter three opportunities to affirm him. In other words, he rewrote Peter's story from being the guy who denied Jesus three times in front of everyone to the guy who devoted himself to Jesus three times in front of everyone. This is what happens when we give God a chance. Never count Jesus out. 
This church is filled with people who have no business being here except for the fact that they put the pen in Jesus's hand and said, you write my story. I'm done doing this my own way. And when you and I do that, redemption is possible. And we've got stories in this church of people whose marriages were on the rocks, addicts, even convicts, who handed Jesus the pen and said, you write the story. And as a result, they are experiencing redemption. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen. It wasn't easy. It wasn't painless but they're experiencing redemption. And when we do this, what happens is failure becomes a chapter in the unfolding story of God's redemption. The story is being written still. With Jesus, it's never over. Judas missed it, but Peter got it. And maybe you're somebody who has experienced failure here yourself today, and you're feeling the weight of your consequences. You're, you're feeling the weight of your guilt and you're wondering, what do I do? Friends, heed the advice of Peter, the same Peter who experienced this story of reconciliation redemption. Listen to what he said in 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Your story of redemption can occur, but here's your part. You gotta humble yourself under God and say, Jesus, I want you to write my story. Have you ever intentionally given your life to Jesus like this? Have you ever invited him to take over, to take control? If you've never done that, I, I wanna help you do that today. You know, the reality is that Whenever we fail, there are earthly consequences and spiritual consequences. Earthly consequences have, can be dealt with. That's what we're talking about today. But spiritual consequences last for eternity. Our sin separates us from God. And this is why Jesus laid his life down, to pay for those spiritual consequences so that it's no longer counted against us. And when we confess our sins, when we take responsibility and then say, Jesus, I put my trust in you that you paid the price for my sins, he forgives you and he begins to change your heart. If you've never invited Christ into your life, I wanna help you do that right now. Last hour, I did it with a young man right out in the courtyard. His life was in shambles and today he called on the name of Jesus to save him. And maybe today you can do the same thing. So if you've never invited your Jesus into your life, I wanna help you do that right now. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, online campus, same thing. And in just a moment, I wanna give you a prayer you could repeat after me. I'll give you the words, but you have to pray these words in faith on your own. You could just repeat them after me in the silence of your heart. You just pray right up to heaven. You can say this, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Just in the silence of your own heart, repeat that up to, up to heaven. Jesus, today I give you my life. I confess my sins to you. I take full responsibility, but I place my faith in you, Jesus. I believe you died in my place. And today I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you wash me clean 
and I give you control. Would you write the story of my life so that I could follow you in a way that pleases you? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time today, I wanna encourage you to let somebody know. On the programs that you have, there's a little perforated card at the bottom that you could tear off and there's a little box on there that says, I said yes to Jesus. I wanna encourage you to fill that out and drop that in the offering bags when they come by. Online campus, there's links that you could follow that does the same thing. It's important that you let somebody know so that we can come alongside you and help you get going so that you don't repeat the same mistakes. Maybe you're somebody who has given your life to Jesus, but you're still in the midst of these problems. You're stuck, you need to get going. You wanna take that next step. Here's how. You grab your phone right now and text the word next to 909-281-7797. We've got a staff person who's waiting for that text to come and they'll exchange a few messages with you and help customize what that next step looks like for you. A great next step is to join Rooted. It starts this week, a 10-week experience where you get with other people and you get real honest about life. If you're serious, this is the way to go. Maybe you wanna find a place to serve in the church or you just need somebody to talk to, you text next to 909-281-7797. Or for those of you in the, in the room, we've got a next step table right outside the lobby. I also wanna make you aware of this resource that our communications team has made available to you. Each week we print a new placemat and our challenge for you is this, is try your best to gather the people under your roof together for at least one meal get as, as much as schedules will allow, and go through some of these questions that we provide. The idea is just to prompt some intentional conversation in your family so that you can be talking about this. And I wonder how many people in here need to have some intentional conversations about failure. Friends, listen, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Failure is gonna hit our families. And when it's someone else who fails, remember, deal with the now before the how. Address the immediate before you address how we got there. And remember, don't let reaction guide your solution. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And help reveal the rescue. Help somebody to see that even in the failure, Jesus is still with them, and the sequel may be coming. And when it's you who failed, remember, choose slow steps over a fast fix. Don't make the same mistake again. Take the slow work and do things God's way. Choose diving in over pulling out. Do what Peter did and get near to God right away. And remember, choose continuing the story over closing the book. Because when you give, your, when you give the pen to Jesus and say, you write my story, then failure becomes just a chapter, not the story itself. And the story continues into a possible new world of redemption and reconciliation especially in your families. Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one -one about your faith. 
You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.